0: Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. A podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, Patient centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voice's most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Natasha Washington, president and founder of ATW Health Solutions and sponsor for the Patient Partner Innovation Community. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. Well, hello uh, podcast listeners. Welcome to Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, and I'm going to be your host today, Desiree Collins Bradley. And so I am really excited to have our special guest, um, Barbara Kivowitz. And so Barbara is a clinician, consultant, and author specializing in healthcare innovation. So, you know, innovation is in our name. So, we're all about innovation. So, Barbara's going to share with us, she wrote a book, a wonderful book, Love in the Time of Chronic Illness, How to Fight Sickness and Not Each Other, which I think is really important. So, Barbara,
2: welcome. Thank you, Desiree. I'm delighted to be here. Yes. yes. So, Barbara, we're just going to dive right
1: into it. So, what inspired you to write the book. Can you share with us was there in your own personal experience something that you were going through? What inspired you to write um Love in the Time of the
2: Chronic Illness? You got it exactly right from personal experience. That was the starting point. Both, both I and my co-author, we were both the ill partners in our relationships. Um, mm-hmm. I developed a mysterious chronic pain condition and Roland had a stroke. And we were both stunned by how deeply our conditions affected our relationships with our partners and also how important that relationship was to our eventual recovery and there Mm. were no resources out there and there are still not very many resources out there to help people understand the impact of illness on the relationship on the connection between the patient and caregiver and what those partners can do to grow stronger together so we Mm. interviewed many 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 couples living with illness and experts from a wide range of areas. And we actually wrote the book that we wished we would have had during our illness experience. Um, And so we hope that that Love in the Time of Chronic Illness will kind of serve as a a medium for couples and all patient-caregiver partners living with illness to learn from each other and to hear the wisdom of experts because living with illness is a hard road and it can be very, very isolating. Oh, you know what?
1: You have said a mouthful. And, you know, there's so much, I would say, clinical support out there, but you hit the nail on the head. There is really not that many resources or information for those partners and, you know, caregivers um, dealing with the chronic illness. So, you know, I'm appreciative of you for writing this book and really taking the time and energy to pour into this this topic. And I think about uh, my parents, for instance, uh, my My mother has had several strokes and is kind of dealing with early onset Alzheimer's and they came to visit me recently. And I just kind of took a step back and, and watched, you know, the dynamic of the relationship and the roles is, is so different. My, my fault, my mom used to do everything, right? She used to do everything, everything. And to see now he's in charge of all the little things, all the little details, but then it was the stress, you know, I could see it on his face. I could see it in his character, his interactions with each other. And so I think it is extremely, extremely important for everyone out there to see the book buy the book spread the book so thank thank you so so much barbara for for doing this
2: well, So it was my it was my honor yes. to do it and it was really a healing and a transformative experience to talk to all these amazing people who found their own ways to cope with mm-hmm. illness together and uh yeah. it changed me that's for sure and um Uh, You know, you just hit another nail on the head, Desiree, and thank you for sharing that about your parents. Mm -hmm. One of the first big changes that hits partners dealing with illness is uh, the roles that they're accustomed to playing when things are fine get Mm -hmm. turned upside down. And for some, a partnership of equals can turn into one of patient and caregiver even overnight if Mm -hmm. it's a severe stroke. And and for others... What might happen is as the illness changes and demands more, the load each person carries changes over time. Um, and it's not uncommon at all, as you described with your dad, for the well partner to overfunction and to take on all the daily chores, to do child care that's relevant, handle finances and insurance, and still do a day job. And mm-hmm. the well partner can end up feeling like they have an endless job that's 24 by 7 and still feel like they're not doing enough. And the mm-hmm. ill partner, actually, can mm-hmm. wind up feeling increasingly isolated and mm-hmm. separate from the, the chores and also the competencies she used to have and wind up focusing largely on the impacts of the illness on her life and on her health. Mm -hmm. And if this imbalance is unrecognized and unaddressed and the partners become only patient and caregiver to each other, they can wind up sacrificing their emotional connection and their (coughs) physical intimacy to the demands of the illness. There was one one partner, surviving partner that we spoke to, Um, he and his wife, got married in their 20s. A year later, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And the next 30 years, she continued to deteriorate. And he took over everything from raising the children to working two jobs to renovating their house so it could be accessible um, as she became uh, wheelchair-bound. And after 30 years of this, Mm -hmm. they were only patient and nurse to each other. Wow. That was the sum total of their relationship and they no longer talked about anything except doctors and medication and they no longer did anything together except going to medical appointments. So while this role transition can kinda happen either suddenly or gradually and in varying degrees, it's really important. That the partners learn how to rebalance And reestablish a new equilibrium that serves them both.
1: So could you just give us a, and, and,
2: you know, as you're
1: saying all this, you know, I see my parents, my parents have been together for 40 years. And so over 40 years. And so, you know, that is one of my fears that, you know, their, their relationship will turn into, into that. So, can you give us maybe a couple practical tips that the listeners um, tuning in could do to avoid, you know, becoming just the the patient
2: and the caregiver? Sure, I have a couple. I'll share. And I would say it's never too late to try either of these. If you can do it at the beginning, you'll have more resilience from the very start. But it's never too late. So one really practical way to kind of rebalance. Mm-hmm. It's for the partners to sit together and list out every chore, every job that needs to be done grocery shopping, laundry doing, walking the dog, uh, dealing with insurance companies, um, dealing with the finances. List out every single job. And then each partner signs up for the chores that they believe they can do. So maybe the ill partner can't drive the kids to school, but can do the cooking. And maybe the well partner can't do research into the condition, but the O partner can do that. And the well partner can do the grocery shopping. And whatever chores are left unassigned Mm -hmm. can either be dropped off the list. Uh, When my husband and I did this activity together, (laughs) neither of us signed up for cleaning the house. Mm -hmm. No surprise. But um, (laughs) we realized as we thought about it Clean house, it's nice, but it's not a must have. And if it gets cleaned once a month instead of every week, we can live with that. So Mm -hmm. some some chores will just drop off the list. And Mm -hmm. then you can enlist and reach out to friends and family and community services to help with the other chores. And I would also add that just doing this activity together, side by side, helps the partners feel much more in sync with each other, much mm-hmm. more that this is a shared experience, and neither one feels so isolated. But that's one very practical oh. way. There's another really important thing that I think, mm-hmm. and not just you know, partners dealing with illness, but I would say any people who are in a really connected relationship should do. Mm-hmm. And that is to deliberately make time to shift out of what I call doing mode and to deliberately practice just being together. Hmm. So being together literally means being side-by-side with your partner in the moment and doing nothing practical. You're not Hmm. doing, you're actively not doing the chores on the list. You're just being side-by-side. And, you know, illness, it consumes so much of our emotional and physical strength. And so for each person to replenish their reserves, Mm -hmm. they need to create space to just sit together. And that could be sitting together in silence and breathing together. Mm -hmm. It could be walking in the park and watching the clouds and the birds. It could be remembering important shared memories. It could be comforting each other, enjoying what you can enjoy. And very importantly, to remember the love. And even though the love, at sometimes, may feel strained because illness can take away so much from us, mm-hmm. but if there's a connection somewhere in there, there's love. And in silence, and by being together, sometimes that love can feel a little bit more replenishing and stronger. Mm, that... And you know, ultimately, ultimately. Um, Nobody's gonna win a first prize for getting all the laundry done. And you <laughs> won't remember. Yeah. You won't remember how many loads you managed to do that day. But you will remember. You will definitely remember if you spent those hours together, side by side.
1: Wow, that is some pearls of wisdom. And I'll say, you know. You know, I'm thinking about my own personal experience. I, you know, and I've shared this with you, Barbara, you know, for the listeners that don't know, you should know, but I'll say it again. I am a parent of a very medically complex little girl. And so to say that the day-to-day caregiving of that is very consuming and has a strain on, you know, my marriage, me and my husband have been together for over 20 years But as I'm listening to what you're saying about being in the moment with each other and just sitting there doing absolutely nothing and just enjoying that private space, you know, I need to start doing that in my own marriage because, you know, that oftentimes we can be like two ships in the night, you know, going through our day to day, you know, checklist of things that we need to do. So, you know, I think this can be applied to many different patient populations. So this is, this is pearls of wisdom, Barbara. I am loving it. I am loving it. So thank you. You're welcome. You touched on, we touched on something really briefly, but I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper about the financial strain. And so, you know, whether it is um, an illness, you said, you know, that comes abruptly and kind of turns your world upside down, or whether it's something that you're prepared for, what have you, the financial strain can be surmountable, right? So, you know, do you have any insights? And I'm not sure if you do, but I'm going to ask you anyway, any insights from the book um, about dealing with the financial strain and how do you balance those financial struggles as it relates to the
2: relationship with the chronic illness? I think that's a great question. And um, illness can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, depending on the insurance coverage you have, what's available in the state where you live, uh, your own other resources, family resources, illness can put a strain on all of that. And ideally, a time to deal with finances is yesterday. Um, for those who are, are uh, lucky enough to not have illness, um, entering their lives at this moment, that's the time when you should start to plan and think about uh, your financial situation and mm-hmm. what what uh, what you need in place to have resources to call on when you need it. But if the illness has already hit and it's taking a toll, um, one of the things with, with, with any question I'm asked about, what can people do or how can they cope with this, Mm-hmm. You'll hear me say over and over again, "The best thing you can do is just stop, sit down, breathe, and be very, very deliberate about thinking together about what the problem is, what resources do we have ourselves, and what resources exist in our greater community, you know the people who love us that we might be able to call on. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to finances, There are certainly uh, federal, state, and community resources that might be available to Mm -hmm. provide uh, both guidance and also um, information about resources you might not have heard about. Mm -hmm. So reaching out to disease associations like the Alzheimer's Association or the Mm -hmm. Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, these are amazing organizations that help people over and over again with but disease questions and also resource questions. For older adults, um, every area in the country is mandated to have what's called its Area Agency on Aging, the AAA, Mm -hmm. which is a great source of information. It's tough. Dealing with finances is tough, and it Mm -hmm. can really bring people uh, to a very dark place, but you don't have to be there, and you don't have to stay there you have to be able to reach out and ask for help, which is really about so many aspects of living with illness.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, and I think about, you know, a a two-part income family, right? And chronic illness comes and it's now dwindled to one part. So trying to kind of deal with that, and and I say that again from personal experience, you know, trying to manage all that can can be really, really tough. But um, I like, what you said about you know start planning now you know of course we don't want to have to think about oh is my my loved one going to come down with chronic illness or myself but we have to start having these conversations because you just never know what tomorrow will bring and I would much rather be prepared for tomorrow than Mm -hmm. not be prepared but then when you're in that space you know, you can start wherever you are. If we have listeners right that are tuning in tonight and that are thinking, I'm going through this, this may be a new diagnosis, a new illness into the family dynamic. It's not too late. I I I, I love that. I love that. I love that. So um, so Barbara, is there some I would say advice to our listeners that are tuning in around dealing with the chronic illness that we haven't touched on that um, is in the book. Would you share with us some insights or some more pearls of your wonderful wisdom around
2: mm-hmm. chronic illness, love and chronic you're so, you're so kind, Desiree. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say that for me, in doing the research for this book, and it was five years worth of research. Um, the biggest surprise was how many people said to us, that they reached levels of connectedness, authentic communication, and intimacy with their partners
1: mm-hmm.
2: that they believed they would never have achieved had it not been for the presence of the illness. Hmm. Um, they spoke about the power of illness, and this is kind of the, the, the hidden gift in illness. hmm um, It would be great if we could get this gift without the illness, but to recognize it within illness is also a gift that there's nothing quite like illness Mm -hmm. and the power that it has to break through the routines and the irrelevancies and the noise and the Mm -hmm. small annoyances of everyday life and illuminate what truly matters, which is hopefully for most of us, love. And compassion, mm-hmm. and uh, it's the it's the urgency of illness and mm-hmm. the threat of mortality that illness sometimes carries mm-hmm. that can kind of whip us upside the head yeah. and make us ask, what are we doing with our precious time? How are we holding this person? who is the most important person in the world to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you let illness have that effect, it can, and for many of the people we spoke to, it can really help you achieve these moments and states of loving, compassionate connection. Mm. One of the experts we spoke to, uh, he was a Jungian psychiatrist Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm quoting him, he said, illness can be the jolt that removes the dullness from life and unveils the potential. Oh, wow. That is simply
1: that's beautiful. lovely,
2: yeah. And there's yes. one other thing, Desiree, that, you know, as you asked me this question, what else? Um, and that's about hope. Mm-hmm. You know, hope is a critical ingredient that we need throughout our lives in all circumstances. Uh, to help us lift ourselves up and take the next step and the next step. And sometimes hope can be a casualty of illness. But what I would say about that is that hope is something you can choose. You can decide that you want to experience hope. And hope can exist and it can persist even in those situations when a cure is not possible. Mm -hmm. And you can can attach hope to anything. You can decide that you want to have some hope about your son or your daughter's upcoming wedding Mm -hmm. or or to see your son or your daughter graduate from law school or to see your son and your daughter reach that next level of achievement, whatever that might be. and you can choose to pin your hope and attach it to anything. And once you bring hope into your into your experience, it actually has a really beneficial biological effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it has the same effect that meditation can have. And I want to read, I want to read one thing from the book. This might be my favorite, my favorite quote. This is from a man who has a neurological disorder and he's Mm -hmm. been on the doorstep of severe health crises many times. So he knows what it's like to be hopeless and he also knows what hope means to him. So this is what he said. There's always something to be hopeful about no matter what condition you're in. When you have your health, you can be hopeful about having any of your dreams come true. Once your body fails you, you can rest your hope in your emotions. You can hope that you will still feel love and compassion for others and for yourself. And if your emotions become emptied, you still have your spirit. You can hope to connect to something greater than yourself, something that has a light to shine on your shadows. And when the spirit is gone, then you have already become something else, and who knows what hope awaits you there. Wow,
1: that has brought yeah. me through tears. That was oh, me, my too. Goodness. That me has too. brought me tears.
2: Oh, you know, yeah, I, I always get choked up when I read it. That's yeah, amazing. What, what this man knows, I and know he knows you. it, he knows it, and he lives this. And it has deepened his life because yes. he lives with illness.
1: Yes, you know, and I think that's such an important part, point, you know, because I. Oftentimes, you go and interact with patients in many different um, spectrums, and I've seen where the chronic illness has stolen that hope from them, and they feel, you know, depleted of that hope. And so, you know, I think having the book to put it in the hands of not only the caregivers, but those that are dealing with the chronic illness is a good resource and tool for them to cope with that and kind of pull themselves out of that abyss of despair. And so, you know, I would love for you to share with our listeners, where can they buy um,
2: your book? I'll be happy to do that. Um, I want to share a quick kind of light vignette about hope. Mm -hmm. So I have this chronic pain condition and it took over my life. I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't work. Um, I spent hours a day just crying and trying to find answers. Mm -hmm. However, every Sunday night at 9 o'clock, I had hope that my husband and I would be able to sit together and watch The Sopranos on HBO. And if you don't think that sometimes that got me through a hard day or sometimes even a hard week, um, it sure did. And wow. And, and that hope that I had to be able to watch the soprano, mm-hmm. just having that experience of hope, it, it has a spillover effect. Yeah. And it could it could shine a little light elsewhere. So so to get the book, it's called Love in the Time of Chronic Illness, How to Fight the Sickness, Not Each Other. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. If you search for the title or search for my last name, you'll find it. And you could get it, uh, you know, on a e-reader or you can buy it in paper form. And you could also go to your local bookstore. And if they don't have it, you can ask them to order it and they'll be able to do that for you.
1: Oh, well, that is truly um, several ways. And we will definitely um, post the link. Um, Also, when we um, put the podcast out, we'll post the link. We have our Facebook group, Patient Partner Innovation Community. We will definitely put the link there so you guys can go there and look for the link to purchase the book. And so Barbara, I have truly enjoyed spending this time with you on our podcast and having you as a guest, Um, is there any last, I would say, last words of wisdom or insight that you want to leave our listeners with
2: before we let you go. Sure. Um, so let me also just say, Desiree, that um, people who are listening uh, probably know how to reach you. If anybody has a particular question um, that I didn't touch on uh, or they'd like me to weigh in on uh, if it's okay with you for them to contact you and then you could forward it to me.
1: Absolutely. I'd be happy to do that.
2: Absolutely.
1: I would love to. So again we have the offer. Um, author Barbara Kibowitz says that if you guys have any questions or wants a little bit more detail, you guys can reach me at ppic online at gmail.com and I will happily connect the dots and, and get that information to you, Barbara, and also to Great. our listeners as well. So
2: thank you. And, yeah. and let me let me let me end by just sharing a couple of quotes from the people yeah. we interviewed. Um, here are some quotes. Your life may not be the same, but you can have a good life, even a better life. Shift your focus to what really matters in your relationship. There's no such thing as false hope. There's only hope. Don't beat yourself up over the things you can't do. And you can always have wholeness without recovery.
1: Wow. Well, you know, that was a beautiful way to close our podcast for tonight. Again, I thank you so much, uh, Barbara, for joining us on our podcast. Thank you listeners out there for tuning in to Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. And as always, you guys, we appreciate our sponsor and supporter, Dr. Natasha Washington at ATW Health Solutions. And with that, I want you guys to go out and be engaged. Follow the PP community online at ATWHealth.com